Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport, food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. Today on the American Glutton Podcast, I have a nice conversation with my friend Jamie Kilstein. He says to disregard his Twitter, which he's on, but you can find him more specifically on Instagram at Jamie Kilstein. Please enjoy. Sincerely. Jamie Kilstein. Let's do it. Welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Every time I say that, I want to do it in like a voice where I go, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast, and then add some like canned cheering. Oh, buddy, it's uh, times are different now. We're, we're we're living in a we're living in a fucking pandemic world. You do whatever you want. Know, you right? Follow your heart. Yeah. And like pro wrestling that shit up. I think that's only right. I want to be a part of that. I want to be the voice that pushed you over the edge. And then I want to see it slowly get out of control where you end up doing the whole interview as like a heel. Yeah. <laughs> like pro wrestler just destroying the person you're in. Just like, stay on your fucking diet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that guy. Man, I think about pro wrestling so much and how, especially in like, uh, with like cancel culture, where it's like, man, I grew up on a lot of very inappropriate pro wrestling. Like back in the day, all you had to do to be a bad guy was be like a foreigner. (laughs) Like it wasn't, it wasn't good. The Iron Sheik. Dude, Iron Sheik, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were so many. Uh, Yokozuna, yeah. You get the USA chat. There was a guy who now he's actually wrestling in AEW and like having like a resurgence. But he was, uh, his his name was Goldust, and I was like thirteen or fourteen, and he was in like this like gold spandex 
uh, jumpsuit, gold paint. And he was a bad guy uh, because he was gay. And he would try to kiss. Oh, my God. Had really? Uh, I don't know if you remember. Rick. What's that? I can't believe I didn't. I have no memory of gold dust at all. Oh, he had a feud with Razor Ramon, who was like the shirtless Miami toothpick, gel in the hair, like badass guy. And Goldust kept trying to kiss him. And the audience would be like, bro, get the fuck out, bro. Uh, and it'd be uh, furious. So anyway, some wow. uh, some horrifying wrestling trivia for your audience. I will say I liked pro wrestling as a little kid. And then as like in my teens i was doing a television show called boy meets world and they got a professional wrestler to play my father now at the time i didn't know anything about wrestling and so this guy vader was not a big wrestler when i was a kid so i just was like oh, okay this guy's not much oh. of a much of a wrestler because i've never he's not like hulk hogan or anything but apparently right. he was a big deal and we wound up doing an episode at a, a wrestling show and I have never stood so close to so many people who wanted to kick my ass because I was with the bad guy, apparently. So funny. Yeah. Now with like that invader was great. He was great. Um, and, you know, now with the internet, the WWE and professional wrestling have kind of had to embrace the like, yeah, we're fake, uh, but it's really fun and it's artistic and it's a show and essentially like a soap opera for dudes. Um, and uh, but back then, it's like yeah, there were guys who were bad guys who a lot of them would continue that at an airport. Like if you asked a bad guy for an autograph, even though they could be the nicest, and every professional wrestler I've met is a sweetheart because they're essentially theater dorks who are big. Um, and so like they're, yeah, there are a lot of them are like so nerdy, uh, it's like the best. I only use nerdy as like a compliment, but you know, you'd go up to them at the airport and be like, can I have an autograph? They'd be like, get out of here, kid. Cause they had to keep that, uh, uh, bad guy persona. They're in character. Fucking fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And they would just stay that way. They were the original Daniel Day Lewis is what I'm trying to say. Yes. I love it. I love it. And by, and I don't think you and I would be thinking about this at all if we didn't have so much time to just go down rabbit holes on our computers. Oh, my God. You're totally right. Do you ever miss, and this is maybe just, uh, you know, well, guys, we'll talk about health. I'm very motivating. I'm good about mental we're, we're health. We're going to get into it. We're going like, to get it. This is the this segment. Is two old men being nostalgic. Yeah. Um, I, so the new Fiona Apple record I uh, listened to, because everyone was talking about, and it was fucking great. Really? And yes, it was. It, it's amazing. You can't have it as background music. You have to like listen to it like headphones taken in. So this is actually where I'm going with that. Um, and I went down a. Uh, this is very seemingly different. Uh, a Tyler the Creator, that rapper, uh, rabbit hole of interviews, and I just found him fucking so fascinating. And he was talking about how for his last record, uh, Igor, he asked his audience to try to listen to it as one piece. Try and, you know. Um, like a concept record? So I remember that. And I, what's that? Like a concept album? No, just like what we used to do with fucking albums. Like put no, it so on like, and listen. Right. Exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, no, just what we used to do. Like, it's not even like all albums 
were kind of concept albums. Like it wasn't this like, it didn't have to be theatric. It was just, you got a CD or you got a cassette. You sat there as a kid reading like the liner notes, reading the lyrics that they had the lyrics put it out. And then you just listen to a fucking record. And I've been doing that more recently and sincerely miss it. Um, I feel like I had two of the most like profound experiences listening to music recently by just lips. Because now it's like, you know, I get excited when a, a single gets released by someone I like. But by the time the record comes out, I'm like, oh, I've already heard like five of these songs and they're just kind of like thrown in randomly on the on the disc or whatever. But listening to an album as an album and actually listening to the lyrics instead of just like putting it on while you're scrolling through Instagram, it, I, I've rediscovered a sort of like love of the, the album. Right. It's really strange because the only two things that I have listened to in that manner maybe in 15 years. Insane clown posse, no, obviously. I, listen, I was never a country fan. I liked, uh, you know, um, The Man in Black. You know, I, I'm, I'm even... Johnny Cash. I love Johnny Cash is great. I loved, uh, like, Willie Nelson's Stardust album is awesome. Like, I liked some, but, like, I wasn't a country guy. And then I, got, I listened to Sturgill Simpson's A Sailor's Guide to Earth and... That, oh, yeah. that is something that I have to listen to. There's no shuffle. There's no, it's got, for me, that's got, and then this other country dude, Coulter Wall, who had an album called Coulter Wall. I don't know why I'm suddenly like, and my kids revolt against it because they have disdain for country music in the same way that I did at their age, but they're listening to stuff like Tyler, the creator, and I'm going to get this noise off. Right. Well, first of all, you're both right. Um, and what's interesting about country, here's what made me open up to country music is, you know, I was kind of the same way, uh, with like Johnny Cat, when people were like, do you like country? I'm like, I mean, Johnny Cash is fine, which is the equivalent of being like, do you like black people? And you're like, well, Will Smith's okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like Johnny Cash is like, what you say? So country people don't get mad at you. Um, but I just associated country with, yeah, just like rabid, weird, like get off my lawn, freedom fries, like I got a truck and a fucking dog and a woman, you know, like that kind of stuff. And yeah, Sturgill is like redefining country, first of all. He's there are a couple of fucking incredible, dude. He's incredible. Dude, I would love to get him on the podcast. I mean, there's like some like psychedelic element, like there's so much cool shit. But what I love about country, and I got this from famed country superstar Connie Britton from the hit TV show Nashville. Um, I don't remember who said it on Nashville, but I got into that show for some reason. And there is this country added that says country music, it, it's three chords and the truth. And there's something really beautiful about that. I mean, really in life, like three chords and the truth. You could be talking about country music. You could be talking about blues music. Um, you could be talking about punk rock music, right? Where it's like it didn't have to be fancy or overproduced or anything like that. It was just like, yeah, dude, I'm playing D again, but I'm going to sing from my soul. Yeah. Um, the problem, in my opinion, and I like fucking, I will never shit on people for liking music unless it's like, you know, white supremacist insanity. Like I, 
uh, I love music so much. Like it is the essence of my being that, you know, if, if, if some music I don't like bring someone else joy, I will kind of, that's not to sit on it. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of modern country that is like fucking can't stand it. And the reason is because they're trying to be not country. Like I remember I watched the CMA awards recently and a lot of these kind of new modern bands, this sounded like rock bands with a drawl and dumb lyrics. Um, there was one band that like sounded like it was trying to be like a country old Lincoln park. And they put like a little like rock rap section in. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? But like at its core, you know, you tell me you got some fucking masculine smoky dude telling me a song about heartbreak while playing those, like, hitting that E minor chord, I'm like, oh, fuck, yes. A hundred percent. That's why I love blues so much. It's the same fucking thing. But it just played so uh, authentically. And, like, the best country, the best blues, I mean, the best music, really, the best art, it's, like, just be fucking authentic, which, you you know, I mean, you know this, and in, in, in Hollywood, you have oftentimes powers of suits um, trying to strip it of authenticity and turn that authenticity into marketability. Um, and then that's where you end up with this kind of mediocre product. And a lot of these really great, wonderful artists look average, but a lot of times it's because, well, their original vision was kind of dumbed down uh, unbeknownst to them because they were just in like the whirlwind of getting famous. Yeah, it is strange how that works. The power dynamic comes in and alters it, and it makes shit commercial. And so we watch the CMA, and it's all just commercial stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, what's cool about podcasts, right, is like, Sturgill Simpson can go off Rogan now, and more people listen to Rogan than watch The Late Show. So it's like, we can kind of... Re, like, the I think the 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 most recent musicians that he's had on are like, yeah, like Gary Clark Jr., who's a blues guitar player. Fucking, he had the, the, the drummer of Queens of the Stone Age on earlier in the year, Josh. Uh, he had, you know, like, he's really just, like, talented, like, musicians, musicians, and it's Virgil he has on. Um, and so we get to kind of decide who to prop up. And then these networks and radio shows and people who sign record deals. I mean, look at Chance the Rapper. Like, that guy was independent and won a Grammy and played SNL without a record label. You know, it was just word of mouth. And Donald Glover helped him. And, like, there was so much shit going on. And so artists can kind of prop each other up. And then the industry has to decide, do you want to keep putting out garbage uh, and the old formula or like we see with Netflix and Amazon and, you know, all these places, do you want to put out really cool artistic shit? Um, and now we can all just make art and let the audience decide, you know, even though the audience does still like trash a lot, which is fine. Which is fine. The audience is allowed to like trash if that's what they like. I think, you know, that Sturgill Simpson album really sounded more like a soul record. Like, I loved Al Green and Bill Withers and yes, guys like that. And too. that's what it sounds like to me. Like when I hear yeah. it, it doesn't sound to me like whatever my preconception of what country music is. But then, you know, I say that and I listen to Coulter Wall, who is for sure country music, and I love it. 
Oh yeah, there's I've definitely fallen into some popular country music. I think that you know, it's like when we were kids listening to two live crew. It's almost like forbidden for a cool artist to like like country. So like I've definitely like slipped some of that shit on my uh on my iPhone for sure. You would also like and he broke before Sturgill, but when you said you like soul and stuff, it's kind of Chris Stapleton. Um he again, like for the longest time, he was just a songwriter in Nashville and he would write songs for other people. I think that's another thing I don't like about country is there's a whole industry in Nashville. Like people give Beyonce so much shit for having like co-writers and stuff. All of country music is pretty much written by other people. So Chris Stapleton, they have uh, they're called publishing houses. And they hire these young writers and, you know, they know exactly about song structure and they put these songs together. And then all these country artists will kind of bid for these songs, essentially. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And not a lot of people know that. And um, so Chris Stapleton was this very famous songwriter. And he wrote some really good songs for these, like, wildly famous country acts. And that was kind of his thing. And then he put out an album, and, and it was much more, like, very, like, blues, soul. Like, you listen to his voice, and you're like, oh, that guy's been fucked up. Like, he is emotionally, like, there's so much soul in his voice. And uh, and then the album blew the fuck up, which is another example. It's like, oh, you guys kept him hidden because he wasn't a generic hot person. And you were like, just write, you know? And then you give him a chance. And it's like, no, people yearn for something fucking real. Um, it's just, it's so much harder to break through. I mean, that was my early comedy career where every agent that I met with, every TV station I met with was like, we love what you do. And I go, great. And they're like, it's edgy. It's political. And I go, yeah. And I go, what do you want to do? And they're like, oh, Christ, we can't do anything. We'll get fired. Uh, but big fans, big fans. And you would try to explain to them, but it's like, yeah, but look at the comedians people actually remember, right? Like Carlin, Pryor, Hicks, uh, I mean, fucking John Stewart, Colbert, uh, Chappelle is the best example, Chris Rock, all, all, all these people, Sarah Silverman. Um, and it's because they took a chance. But a lot of people in the industry, we forget, are just kind of like, who grew up in LA and you know they just don't want to get fired and they would rather put out a bunch of kind of unforgettable people that don't get them in trouble than take a chance with someone who could turn into uh, the next Carlin, the next Sarah Silverman, whoever. Well, it's this. It's the safer bet. I mean, you know, if you, it's like, are you going to play the? Are you going to play one number on the, uh, at roulette? Or are you going to play red or black? So they're playing red or black mostly, right? And you That's know, a great way to put it. red and red and black. They don't go broke, but if they play one number, they they can get fired. It's true, right? Or they could be the person who discovered, you know, whoever, right? Some giant. Who? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yes, the potential for reward is much greater, but then. You know, everybody you mentioned has the benefit of a very long career that started prior to being able to kind of um, offend your way into oblivion. I mean, there are certainly comics that are huge who 
make a living at being offensive. Um, but like, I, I don't know that if Chappelle appeared today and nobody knew who he was, if he would get away with saying some of the stuff he says, I don't think so. That is a really fucking good insightful point because he had such armor from Chappelle's show from, I mean, it's so hard because you look on Twitter every time Dave Chappelle puts out a special and you go, oh, fuck, he's in trouble. They're going to cancel him, blah, blah, blah. Like, because Twitter isn't real. And then suddenly I'm on Netflix and it's like, oh, Chappelle just won the Mark Twain Award. Right. And like, there's Thundercat, there's Morgan Freeman, there's fucking, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Chappelle went to the White House. Um, Twitter is just such garbage. And I mean, I talk about this a lot uh, on my channel, but like this kind of ties into cancel culture. I mean, it can also tie into health and weight loss and and being an athlete where, you know, you always want to visualize yourself at your best, whether that's winning, whether that's, you know, uh, running further, whether that's getting down to the weight you want, whatever. Uh, You don't want to visualize yourself being like a sad sack of shit. And essentially what cancel culture does is it puts us in a permanent state of kind of like the anti-positive thinking, the anti-manifesting, where we're training ourselves to look for people's flaws. So, oh, this guy's successful. I'm going to go find something problematic he tweeted about however many years ago. And so that affects us in real life, you know, that if we're training ourselves just to look for the shit instead of being like, wow, like fucking Dave Chappelle made how many specials and is like just getting better? Like, that's incredible. You know, it's one thing if someone says something legitimately hateful. Yeah, Dave's just uh, a a very loving um, comedian. But yeah, that's a really good point. And to that point, you know, it's... Where I've kind of fallen is you... You said something that kind of alluded to... Uh, offensive comics today. It's almost like if you're going to be that, you have to seek out the other offensive comics. And like, you can't just be a comedian who has offensive jokes. You have to go like all the way and like be in like kind of the drakes with the the comics who are just, because I love edgy comedy more than like anything, but I hate people who are trying to be offensive just essentially for attention, right? Yeah. Like, um, you write a joke with substance and, uh, again, authenticity, heart, whatever, you can say whatever the fuck you want. If you're a white guy who just wants to find a way to say the N-word, that you can say, I'm the comic with you, you know, the rules don't apply to me, I'm, I'm the bad boy, then it's like, all right, that, you're ridiculous. And there are a group of comics like that, and in a weird way, they're getting stronger because of cancel culture. Um, whereas what I would love is just an army more of Chappelle's who have a good heart, who are being subversive, but also will say shit that makes you go, Oh fuck, he can say that. Right. Like, those are the best comedians um, to me, but it's a balance. Chappelle's not trying to hurt people. Uh, and yeah, you like dude. It's like one of those specials just kind of came out randomly. Like, I don't fucking know. I, well, I, I don't, don't think it, Netflix would... Yeah, I don't think Netflix would put it on. I don't think Netflix would give him the time of day had he not been Chappelle. Right. You know, and, and yeah. Bill, I mean, Bill Burr to that. Like, Bill Burr had some edgy stuff in his last thing. Look, in fairness, I am not super versed in stand-up comedy. Um, 
I I I definitely appreciate stand up comedy. Like I love Carlin. Carlin is my dude. I, and I and yeah. even when I don't necessarily agree with him on something politically, I think he frames it perfectly. I, I he's just such a good writer, you know. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I, I'm I can like I mean just on what we're doing right now. Normally, I mean prior to. Uh, social distancing and all that, I, I had a, a chaperone to make sure I didn't get in trouble by saying anything, you know, that I shouldn't necessarily say or whatever. Stop it. Really? Yeah. She, she, and, and I'm sure she'll be back. Like my wife, listen, who doesn't, I love that you said because of social distancing, I'm like, I, the idea that the only reason we're talking about cancel culture is because someone's not allowed to get within six feet of you is the, I know that's not what you meant, but God damn it. That is so funny. No, but I think that's true. Like, I'm going to talk about whatever I want, motherfucker. I think that's true. I think had Paige, who I love, who's a very close friend, who's a good producer, had she been in the room, she would be going, move it along. What the fuck are you guys talking about right now? <laughs> And and look, in fairness, this is mostly a health show, but this is an interesting topic to me. And I just go at the end of the day, have I never had an idea in my life that I haven't changed or seen in a more nuanced way at some point or found to be completely wrong at some other point? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. isn't that part well, of being a person? Yes, a hundred percent. And the problem with cancel culture. And here, I mean, I'll say something. I'm, I'm, I'm still uh, very liberal. Uh, what's that? the problem? Is the problem with everything? With diets? With you know, you got to be vegan or carnivore, or you know, all these extremes. Uh, we play off extremes nowadays. And. The the problem is, I mean, one, there's no room for nuance. Um, but when it comes to cancel culture, usually the people who are against cancel culture, the loudest, are like, why can't I call everyone gay and use the M-word? It's like, well, because you're, you'd be a bad person, right? And then you get the other side that uh, somebody uses a term that they don't even know was offensive. They say, oh, my spirit animal is a cat. And they go, well, that's offensive to indigenous people. And you're like, well, fuck, I didn't know that. And they're like, cancel that. Um, and I, what you're saying is incredibly important, which is, and this ties into everything. There's nothing to do with cancel culture. This has nothing to do with like the old racist white guy can't be racist anymore. It's like, good. I don't want people to be fucking racist. Um, so what you were saying is what cancel culture does is it doesn't give anybody incentive to evolve where if I'm going to get in trouble for, and you see this a lot, right? Where someone will get in trouble for something. And there's some people who are like, I made a mistake, blah, blah, blah. But then watch their fans and they double down. They go, oh, my guy's going to get in trouble for saying this? Well, I'm going to say this, 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 and this because fuck cancel culture. And now you have just a bunch of people being assholes. And what we have to do is like, and, and this mainly happens like on my side, on the left, which is we are the party of prison reform and of redemption and all these things. Yet, if a comedian has an offensive tweet 10 years ago, we never want him to work again, right? That's not good. Um, I'm 
we're, you know, we should want people to be the best versions of themselves. I mean, to make like a health analogy, like if someone was overweight their whole life and they're like, well, I guess I'm just always going to be overweight because people are calling me fat. If you tell someone that there's no path to betterment, why are they going to try to get better? Um, and not only that, but the times I've run into problems and stuff like that, all of those kind of gross, uh, like 4chan, like actual sexist and racist stuff, they want to bring you over to their side. And you're like, I don't want to be on that side. Um, I just want to say the things that I say, try to make people laugh, and then every day live my life uh, trying to be a better person. And I think that, I mean, the way for paid shout out, um, that we can tie this all into health and betterment and wellness is that cancel culture is a microcosm of just all of the negativity in the world that we are bombarded with um, on television, on, you know, the internet, on social media. Um, and that the times in my life, I made a post on Instagram this morning. The times I've tried to work out because I'm like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm fucking depressed. I have to uh, go run so I don't kill myself. Like these are actual thoughts I've had. Um, or, you know, I ate pizza yesterday because like, I'm a fucking addict and I don't have willpower, so I got to work out. It is not exciting to lace up the boots and go work out when that is your mentality. Conversely, if your mentality is, I fucking love myself. I want to feel strong. I want to feel good. I'm going to sprint in the desert, which is what I did today, like a fucking badass. Then it's like, you're going to see actual results. And so how this ties into cancel culture, maybe it's a stretch um, and everything like that is we have to start looking for the positive and look to lift people up and highlight the people who are doing good. Like, dude, call out the asshole for sure. Like I'm not saying be apathetic or whatever, but when you are spending your days searching for what other people did wrong or then you have to ask yourself, well, is this coming from a dark place inside? Because when I used to do that shit, it's because I was miserable and depressed and suicidal. So I would go on Twitter and be like, well, who fucked up worse than I did? And then I would call that out, right? Like, you're going to start seeing results in your life creatively, physically, uh, mentally, if you just, I mean, it sounds so hippie and cheesy, but like lead with fucking love instead of this like rabid, I have to destroy anyone who's doing better than me or who's in better shape than me. I mean, when I, I was so unhealthy that I would make fun of joggers. Like my ex-wife and I would see joggers and we're like, oh, look at that fucking miserable asshole. Like, oh, I wish I could trip that guy or whatever. And it's like, What? What? Because they were taking care of themselves, but it, it had nothing to do with him. It had to do with, I wasn't in shape and I hated myself, so I'm going to take it out on that guy. Same with what happens on Twitter. It's like, hey, is there something that you could be doing that's good in the world and you could be putting out a positive message instead of just spending the days trying to take down other people? Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You know, we get into a an area, especially with health, which I really have no position in one way or the other, you know, and I've it's been brought up to me a couple of times 
almost tentatively where it's like, well, you may be stepping on the toes of the healthy at every size people. And I'm like, look, I don't believe that anybody should diet because society thinks they should diet. I think health, you know, especially since we're living in the modern age with we live in cities for the most part and and there's medicine and all of this like health becomes subjective at some point and you know i think people should be able to smoke cigarettes if they choose to smoke cigarettes that's not for me to determine um and in the same way if a person is completely happy with themselves then what the fuck are they, is anybody telling them to do a diet for? Do you know what I mean? Like, I I don't care. But yes, I agree. If I see somebody out there um, busting their ass uh, in pursuit of a goal, when when I have had goals and maybe I'm not pursuing them, I can be hypercritical of them. Like, yeah, they're just wasting their time or whatever. But the reality is, no, they've set a goal for themselves and they're going after it. I think, um, I, I, I just think, you know, there's a, a certain level of tolerance that I think should be granted to the opposition, no matter what we're talking about, whether it's political or health or whatever and 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 I'm not talking about like moral relativism to the point where we're making any kind of rationalizations for cannibalism or something like that you know what I mean or or like the 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 insane sexual practices of the ancient Greeks I'm not that's not my point at all my point is only that in this day and age within certain boundaries you know when you get into like ha- physically harming other people then I go like, okay, let's draw a line there. But otherwise, like, ah, there's got to be some, you know, tolerance for anybody's ideas that aren't in line with yours, you know? That, it's the most selfish, insane fucking thing. I'm sure there was an MSNBC contributor a couple of years ago who tweeted, um, you know, I hit a PR on my footnote. And somebody wrote to her, like, you're fat shaming me. And it's like, okay, so you're just fucking evil. Because you would rather continue your unhealthy lifestyle, not have to think about it, and have this guy orphan his fucking kid, uh, than, than, than make a change. So that's where the body positivity movement falls off the rails. I mean, i got to be honest with you. I mean, I had a meal with somebody in that uh, movement in Los Angeles and he told me that he was miserable um, because, like, I ordered, like, a salad, and he was like, I really want to, and then he ended up ordering, like, some fried shit. And, like, a week later, in a major publication wrote something about, like, the evil of fat shaming. And it's like, bro, you were confiding that you are not happy, like, that it, 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 it negatively affects your life. That's when it gets into just really dangerous territory. And by the way, that's the stuff that we're blowing up on the internet now. And it's like, yeah, but where, what's the place these people are writing these articles for? I think that wanting people to feel, you know, what I always say is like, it's not about how you look, it's how you feel. Uh, Where, of course, there are bigger boned people 
um, who are healthier than a lot of like, there's that term like skinny fat. Like I had a friend who looked ripped in high school and all he ate were like Doritos and hot pockets and shit. Um, and it's like, yeah, he's, if he didn't change his diet, he's probably dead. Well, <laughs> you know I, what I mean? I do. And I, and I think this is where, this is where I, I, I get like inspired by certain people and then turned off from certain other ones. Because I think the argument, like if we're, if we're making a health argument, it is difficult to make uh, the argument that being morbidly obese is necessarily healthier than being whatever fit means, right? That's a hard argument to make. But then we have people like Lizzo, and I don't really know much about her, but I've read a few things and I just see the way she carries herself and I go, she's figured it out, dude. Like, like she seems happy. I don't hear her making arguments about her health. I wouldn't make an argument about my health for why anybody should do what I'm doing. That's not, I, I would only say I had a goal. I'm almost at my goal. I'm very, very close. I worked my ass off to get to this goal. It wasn't easy. And if you want to hear my story, I've got a story for you, but it's not, but I'm not going to sit here and say, you should do this because I'm healthy. Like that's not going to be my argument. And I wouldn't say you should not do this because you're just as healthy. You know what I mean? I would say, do what you want to do at the end of the day. What, what do you want as an individual? And, 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 you know, if you had a bunch of people making fun of you as a kid, that sucks. That's no way to, that's no way to formulate a goal. Um, if you got to go to therapy or, or shake that off in some way, and if you finally shake that off and you feel like you're not holding on to that as baggage, then make the decision from, from that standpoint. You know what I mean? But like, I look at Lizzo and I'm like, I like you. I like what you're saying. I, I, and, and again, I don't know all the intricacies and the nuance of what she's saying. I've read like two things, but she seems to be really happy and I'm happy for her. You, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, man. I mean, I think it's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's have love in your heart for everybody. Right. And what everybody's going through and know that everybody is struggling and everybody's having a hard time and, uh, and, and, and not try to drag, if you're having a hard time, whether it's with working out, whether it's with depression, whether it's, you know, whatever, uh, instead of trying to pull other people down to your level or get mad at people who are jogging or who are talking about health or who are Lizzo, who are just happy and doing what they want instead of just this fucking outrage. Um, it's just every day should be about how can I be better? How can I love myself more? How can I put more love out there? How can I feel my best so that I'm able to help the people around me to the best of my ability or put out the art I want to, you know, like I'll go on these like health spirals where I'm like, I'm a comedian again. We're in quarantine. I can't do jujitsu. I guess I'm going to like just eat shitty and smoke pot all day. And then I make less art. Whereas like today I woke up at like, you know, 5am and I meditated and then I went into sprints and I made a fuckload of art. Um, and so we want to be the best versions of ourselves. And I would implore anyone listening to this, if you found yourself constantly lashing out 
or criticizing people who are in better shape than you and whatever. It's like, ask yourself what you could be doing instead of that, that would positively affect you or the people around you or go a little fucking deeper and be like, why am I lashing out so much? Is it because I'm, uh, is it because I, you know, so I'm by myself, I'm single for the first time in my fucking life. And then there's a global pandemic, um, <laughs> which, which I assume was God being like, I don't trust you. Uh, let's, let's make sure you stay single. And, um, and do, do you sit at home and look at videos of people with their with their significant others and just go like, fuck, these people are scum? Yes. Well, I had to get off Instagram for a little bit. And I was like, why am I getting so depressed on Instagram? Because I'm making the most content I've ever made. I'm getting the best response I've ever got. And I realized that I was seeing, uh, yeah, all these couples. And they looked so happy. And they had cats. And I lost my cat this year. And like, all this shit. And, but, but here's the difference. Instead of being like, fuck them, couples are dumb. Uh, they're just going to cheat. Statistically, marriages don't work. Like, blah, 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 blah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I could be present enough through, again, working out through mindfulness to be like, "Hey, what the fuck's going on here inside? Why can't I look at these pictures?" Oh, because I feel like I'm broken or I'm not normal because I don't have that. And then once you can take that deep breath and kind of be like, why do I want to scream at Lizzo? Or be like, why do I want to scream at uh, this bodybuilder person? Or why do I want to get married on this podcast or whatever? Um, you got to go, why is that? I mean, so many times I've seen comments you know, fuck these person's podcast, blah, blah, blah. Someone goes, why? The comment thread goes on. And by the last comment, the guy's like, well, why can't I have a podcast? And it's just like, there it is. 
That's what it is. You're mad you don't have a podcast. And you know why you don't have a podcast? Because you spend all day shitting on other people's podcasts instead of putting yourself out there, taking a risk, and making a podcast. And so if you're, if, if you're mad at the person running, dude, like you may need to fucking Amazon Prime some running shoes and like figure that shit out. Yeah. The real interesting thing for me, having all kinds of eating addiction and, and psychosis surrounding food and all of this is thinking that, or, or because it's hard to get out of your own perspective is the idea of looking at guys like you who are athletes and look, have always looked to me to be super fit that guys like you could have any issues with food is always eye-opening, always. Oh, buddy, no one's ever said that to me because that's not true. Like, I'm just small. Um, I'm not, like, I'm just tiny. Uh, I'm not... Uh, it is incredibly hard for me to get... You know, I discovered when I was 28 because... I was on the road just smoking and doing drugs and drinking. I was so out of shit. Like I did MMA when I was like 17 to 22 or something, but then I was just on the road from 22 to 28. And I was like, Oh, I have to do this or I'm going to die. Cause I hated going to the gym. And, uh, and then I just got that addictive personality, the same addiction, the same addictive personality that makes me, that makes it hard to stop eating it just got thrown at jiu-jitsu where I was like, Oh, I'm going to go like a couple of times a week for self-defense. And then I'm like, I'm going to go twice a day. And then suddenly I'm like booking my Los Angeles stand-up shows around the world championship. So I could like compete, um, which are like, that's what I did. And so, but like now for jiu-jitsu essentially was jiu-jitsu for me was paged for you to stop you from talking about cancel culture. So jujitsu for me was uh, the only thing stopping from binge eating. Anytime I got injured, I was just ordering garbage again. Um, and I look, I think this is something with men in general, uh, eating disorders you associate with high school girls um, and actresses. And so men suffer from eating disorders too, we just kind of suffer silently about it. And so we don't talk about it or we just go, oh, I just like to eat. There's like, oh, I just like to drink, bro. You know, it's like a manly gladness back to the Greeks uh, kind of attitude. Um, but it was really painful. I mean, I would be crying in Brooklyn, holding the phone, trying not to order like more pizza or like, God, when I was a stoner in Queens, there was a Taco Bell pizza hut together, like together, uh, uh, which should be illegal. Um, and I remember I got so high and ordered both tacos and pizza and the guy showed up with two pizza boxes. And I was like, Oh, bummer. I guess they messed up my order and forgot the tacos. And then like he sensed my despair, puts up his finger and goes, wait. And he opens one of the pizza boxes and it was fucking lined with tacos. And I was like, yes, I used to order something called a family meal. I was probably like a buck 45, but gross. Like, again, I was just small, but when I was competing, I was like 145, but like I had a gut, like I've never had abs. Um, and yeah, so I would order a family meal 
uh, for me. It was called a family meal, and I would take it back to my shitty apartment and eat it by myself with no family because how am I going to get a family if I'm the kind of person who eats a fucking family meal? Like, this was stuff that happened on the regular. And, I mean, to be honest with you, like, it started to happen again during quarantine because I didn't have a place to work out. I tried to do a couple of, like, home push-up fucking YouTube hot LA person showing you how to do. And I was like, this is awful. Before we get into this, because this is a real important thing that we're going to talk about, but I will say that you did make a video that I thought was hysterical, but also very, very smart, where it was like almost like how the savants would play chess without a chessboard. You guys were doing jujitsu without touching each other. Oh, right. Which I thought was so funny. Um, oh, thanks, dude. Yeah, I mean, so there I'll was say. some there was some creative genius that came out of it. Um, but but I, I I don't mean a sidetrack. I want to hear what happened while during quarantine with it. Oh, it got you bad. Can always side, dude. I have dad issues. You can always sidetrack to compliment me. This, that was great. That was okay, wonderful. Sidetrack away. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, what I started to do when I didn't have jujitsu is. I did that where I was like, I threw myself into creativity where I'm like, okay, I can't do stand up. I can't do jujitsu. What are things I've always wanted to do? Well, I always told my agents that I couldn't act. And I always felt like I couldn't write because I dropped out of high school. Um, so I never auditioned for like sketch shows. I would do like writing packets sometimes, but I never auditioned. And I was like, but I love sketches. And like, even though I was this angry political comic, my humor really is like weird and sad. Nothing makes me laugh harder than like a version of me crumbling. I mean, that's what so many of my sketches are. And uh, so I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to fucking do this. And I'm going to like, see if I can act and be funny and, and all this stuff. And so I started making, you know, a sketch a day on Instagram. And suddenly I'm getting like, you know, like a couple new thousand followers in like a couple weeks. Um, and that was really rewarding. I was like, I want to play music again. So I, started, I taught myself how to record music and I plugged my guitar in and started recording music. And then I started putting some like ranty stand-up behind that. And I was like, this is amazing. But I didn't have health to keep me in check. And what is the cliche about artists? Well, artists are just fuck-ups and delinquents. And so I started smoking a ton of weed and I started eating really shitty and, um, and I leaned into it, you know, like instead of watching fighters that I looked up to, I would watch YouTube videos about, you know, Seth Rogen talking about how creative he is smoking pot. And like I was enabling myself, which by the way, like I'm friends with, uh, this girl Liz Hannah who uh, wrote a movie Seth was in and was like, Seth's the hardest worker she's ever worked with. And she worked with like Spielberg and Meryl Streep and shit like that. Um, so that, that wasn't like a shot on set, but it was like, I was seeking out people to tell me that creative people smoke pot or creative people, you know, whatever. And so, but then I just got so fucking depressed and I hadn't seen like a weight gain like this in like a while. And I'm like, this is bullshit, man. Like earlier in the year, I lost my cat and my girlfriend, speaking of a country song, in the same fucking week. And I pulled myself up and ended up being the healthiest I've been uh, ever. 
And now I'm going to like let this quarantine bullshit like affect me. I'm like, this is garbage. And so I just really have to be vigilant, you know, like, like the, it's, it actually started. And, and this is why everyone's different and why shows like yours are important and to get so many different voices on because I was talking to this one nutrition guy and he was like, I do like a whole cheat day. I'm like, not like a cheat meal. He goes, no, no, no. I just do a day of eating whatever I want. And this guy is like so ripped, dude. Um, and I was like, all right, cool. And so I ate really healthy and I felt awesome. And I'm like, cool, I guess this is my cheat day. And then I did the old addict shit. Whereas the first cheat meal I had in the morning, I go, well, that was great. And I'm like, okay, now I have to eat everything bad that I can because I only have this day. And from that day on, it was just like a two-week fucking food vendor. Yeah. And what I realized is, no, I need to train myself and remember, I remember this guy, Cal Kingsbury, who, uh, he, he does a ton of stuff with like Aubrey Marcus, was a UFC guy. And he was like, just do the thing that makes you feel good, which sounds so simple. Um, but yeah, when I actually eat a healthy meal, like I'm actually satisfying, not like a stupid salad or I'm like depriving myself, but like a big filling healthy whole food meal i feel incredible and i feel proud of myself and when i eat pizza just like when i drink the first couple bites you're getting that dopamine hit um you know addicts are very big with um what's the word i'm looking for like uh not tradition but um like it's almost like um ah uh, well, the word's not coming to me, but almost gets more excited about like the planning ritual. The, the ritual, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you'll be like, um, oh fuck, like you get that like pang, like I'm gonna order a fucking pizza, and then you're like, yeah, what else am I gonna get? I'm like, yeah, oh, well, you don't have to smoke pot, so I can eat more. And then you're just planning, but then you're like two slices in, and you're like, this is horrible. But then you can't do that because you're like, well, but you say or whatever. And you know, I just got to a point where the art was starting to suffer too. This romanticized idea about like the broken artist. I'm like, I just want to do that. The people who were like writing me, being like, your Instagram's getting me through and helping me with me with my depression. Suddenly, like, I'm feeling like almost like suicidal for the first time in a while. Like, I was in a really, really bad place. And then I think I just got to that point where I was like, I want to be someone that I can be proud of. I don't want to get my attention by being like, I'm depressed. Look at me. Or, and again, open up if you're depressed. Like me opening up about my depression has helped a lot of people. But I mean, wearing it as like a badge of honor where I'm like, this is the thing that's going to get me attention. Um, wasn't good, man. And, and, and we reward it too because if I post a tweet about, yeah, doing fucking, I, I did today. I, I, I did this whole, I wrote this thing on Instagram about working out to feel good, not to punish yourself. And, you know, I got like one little star on Twitter of my like 34,000, whatever. And, uh, but when I posted like about like getting high, and like can't stop eating or whatever, that'll blow up because people want you to reinforce their bad habits. Uh, well, I think there's just more of a reaction to anything extreme. 
and oh. then and then what we wind up with is people who are creating the thing that's getting reacted to are then going to just put out more extreme stuff because that's what's getting more of a reaction and then the marketplace of social media or whatever is just filled with all this stuff and it's like yeah where's the guy just saying like hey it's it's okay to just you know by the way it's okay to have a rest day how about that that's not going to get a huge reaction like people are you know i think kill yourself in the gym is probably going to get more of a reaction than like just treat yourself well you know yeah 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 yeah. the rise and grind posts do far better than the foam rolling recovery day posts right Right. But they're both, they're, they're of equal value. Really? You can't, if you, if you never take that rest day, if you never foam roll, you're going to wind up hurting yourself and then you're out of the gym and then you're going to do a post on injury and that's going to get super responses. And then you're going to go like, well, shit, maybe I'm just the injury guy. You know, I got to keep getting injured. Yeah, Yeah, dude. I mean, you're totally right. And again, this goes back to that mindfulness where it's like, Am I doing this for me or am I doing this for the image I project on social media? And if you're doing everything for you, back to music, if you're doing everything authentically, you know, I, I ended up, um, so I lost all my standup gigs, um, for the next couple of months, which is like 10 grand, which is a, lot of money to me as I'm like rebuilding my career and shit. And uh me in like deep, deep, deep trouble. However, about a month before COVID hit, um I I had this like political person on my show and she was so and what I was priding myself on when I was talking about politics is kind of like Hey, we can talk to people who disagree with each other and still like laugh and come up with compromises and stuff like that. And it was cool. Um, but as the primaries heated up, I felt myself being like, Oh, I know what I can, I know some toxic bullshit I can tweet that'll blow up, you know? And I was starting to have kind of more divisive people on my podcast. And, um, but with every person I had on, there were really good conversations. Um, and so like I had, literally one of the architects of the Iraq war on who had me blocked on Twitter because I would just consistently call him a war criminal. And, uh, like back in the day, and he saw one of my stand-up shows in Toronto and he really liked it. And I go, you should come on the podcast. And he came on and instead of, his name is David from, he was the speechwriter who wrote the access of evil speech. And, uh, David from, yeah, you had David from on your podcast. I sure did. Wow. And, uh, and instead of opening up the podcast, I'd be like, you have blood on your hands, motherfucker, which is what old me would have done. Uh, I opened up asking him about like writing and being a writer. So they're talking about Christopher Hitchens. And like, I, I, I got to do a show with Christopher Hitchens. And we talked about that. And we really had a really good conversation. And then at the end, I asked him with 100% sincere empathy. And I was just like, do you regret parts of the Iraq war. Do you think about it? And he opened up really honestly being like, I think about it every day. And we still disagreed about it, but it was this beautiful moment that came out of like not being confrontational and just like listening to somebody. Um, 
And so, but, but where I'm going with this is, so I had this, I had this woman on and this woman was just fucking hateful. Just like, I did not expect it. I did not, but just started like lashing out at certain minority communities and shit like that. And that same day, I had a couple people write into the podcast who were like, Hey, I just want you to know, like she got me through like some of my hardest times with depression and all this shit. And so I go, I'm done with politics. Like, fuck this. I go, all I want to do is talk about depression and mental health or just tell funny stories and interview artists. I I don't care. And I know I'm going to lose thousands of listeners. And so I do it. I make an announcement. And I lose thousands of listeners. And somebody probably three, a month before COVID writes me and goes, Hey, have you ever thought about doing like coaching for like mental health or comedy or whatever? And I was like, I've kind of always wanted to do that. Um, But I thought people would like make fun of me or be like, you know, but he's a fuck up, which I think makes a really good coach. Um, And so I was like, yeah, why don't I do like a trial run of that? So I get a couple people uh, literally make exactly as much money as I would have for those gigs, gigs get canceled and I'm okay. And the reason that happened is because I just did the thing I wanted to do. I just did the authentic thing. I didn't make the show what other people wanted the show to be. Same with these Instagram sketches. I thought I couldn't act. I thought I couldn't edit. I thought I couldn't do that stuff. You know, my Instagram had like a thousand followers because like I was known on Twitter and uh, I was like, I want to start making weird fucking sketches like for me. And now it's like almost like 7,000 people in like three weeks. And it's like, I didn't try to do that. I was just like, I want to make the art that I actually want to make. Um, and now it's like, well, I be ballsy enough to bring that into stand up, you know, because I was always thinking like, is this person going to be offended? Or is this person going to think this thing about me? Or is this? And it's like, if you make the shit you want to make and it's from your heart and not trying to pander or not trying to be offensive or not trying to, it's just you, it's just authentically you. A, a lot of times it does end up, even if it seems financially risky, which my political decision was. And, you know, once these coaching clients bail, I'm like, oh, uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I really believe if we keep doing what I feel is the right thing or the moral thing, it'll just kind of fucking work out. I really like what you're saying. And I think it is mostly mental. And then, there, and then there's integrity, too, in there where it's like, you got to you got to do what you know to be right despite it not being necessarily the easiest thing to do yeah dude i've become obsessed with uh rick rubin and there's this documentary on him uh on showtime called shangri-la i, I think i bought it on like prime or something and um it was just a four-part doc series you know all about him like and the Beastie Boys and Def Jam and all the different artists he's made. But he's also this very like meditative, sober. You look at him with his huge beard and I just thought he was like the king of psychedelics. Uh, but he doesn't smoke pot, he doesn't drink. And uh, it's really cool because there's all this old footage of some of the Beastie Boys and, you know, Run DMC and shit like that. But 
you get to hear him just pontificating and he is so fucking wise. And he said this in a barefoot in a church. He said, uh, if you're making art that everybody likes, it's probably mediocre. He goes, this is my favorite part. He goes, you want your music to be somebody's absolute favorite. And then what someone else uses as an example of the kind of music they hate. Right. Yeah. That's and that gave me such permission where it's like, Oh, I'm allowed to be hated. You know, I've spent so much of my life being afraid to, of being hated, you know, which led to me being hated and me taking it very badly. But it's like, no, that it's not for them. And that's good. And in fact, that actually means the art's probably even better. Um, and it means more to the people who, you know, are on your wavelength. Yeah, I get I get a lot of um, shit about swearing. And uh, people say it makes me sound dumb. And I'm like, listen, dude, I, I feel, uh, first of all, I probably am dumb. I left high school at 14. Uh, and number two, I swear. That's how I talk. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also it's like, it's not for you then. And that's cool. You know, um, people have said that people said that to me back in the day. They don't really say that to me anymore. And it's one of the most inauthentic patronizing, like you're a baby. If you feel like I would get a lot of good out of your show but you use naughty language. And, and, and again, I would ask them to ask themselves, what makes you special that you write into somebody with millions of followers and like change your podcast for me? That is so gross. As opposed to just go listen to another podcast. Right. I, I mean, listen, you don't like swearing. I got it's fine you don't have to like swearing i i i actually have tried to tone my language down a bit but i still say fuck i like the word fuck i think fuck is a great word it's a good word it's a good word it's a solid word yeah and like yeah i heard people say that to me and essentially a lot of times people will say stuff like that like i'll say like a lot and people will harp on that and you know that's something I actually have tried to do less. But cursing to me can be so beautiful and artistic. And you you call someone a you know a shitty dickhole. Oh, that's so good. That, that makes me so happy. And if you did, the thing is, the show would be so much worse if instead of talking like you talk you are risking losing important concepts or ideas you had because in your head, you're like, wait, wait, I can't say that. What can I say instead of that? And you just be so in your head that, you know, some of my, again, the beautiful thing about podcasts is you can do whatever you want and you can build your own audience. You know, we used to on my old podcast, even though it was a really political show, the first 15 minutes we would talk about nothing or be offensive or do weird little bits. And we used to call it the douchebag buffer, um, which is also how I feel about my tattoos. If someone, you know, gives me, I mean, it doesn't happen as much nowadays, but when I started getting tattoos, it was still kind of, it wasn't as common and I would get dirty looks. And it's like, cool, 
that person's a douchebag and I don't need to deal with them. This is great. Instead of being offended and being like, oh my God, why don't they like me? And so what was so funny about that is every once in a while, we'd get people that would write in and they didn't get to the part where they, they didn't make it. And they didn't get to the part where they we would say that was the douchebag buffer and then go on to the political stories. And so we would get these emails that are like, I couldn't even get past the first 10 minutes of this show. It's filthy and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, great, you're a douchebag. That's great. Uh, thank you for outing yourself. Thank you for uh, moving on, getting the bags and, and, you know, hitting the old dusty trail. Like, you're not wanted here. And that's okay. And I truly hope that you find a podcast that suits you. Um, but yeah, dude, it's just you got to find your own audience, find the people who, because to me, when I see, oh, this is a health show, but you're also like self aware and vulnerable about your issues, and you're having an expert, and you're talking like I talk. That actually, I'm much more, me personally, I'm much more likely to listen to your show than I am someone who is very, you know, uh, succinct. And, you know, well, if we consult the the studies, it says that 22%, the glycogen, whatever, blah, 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 blah. That stuff is also important. I yeah. register information that way. I register, as many people do, information through comedy, through laughter, through stories, through anecdotes, through um, filthy language. That's just how I remember shit. Yeah, and me so too. So if you really care about health, it's like I want people like you out there. I want people, you know, my friend Rob Wolf. I'm a fucking vegan, and I'm friends with Rob Wolf, who's the big paleo guy. I want him doing what he does. He's awesome. And, uh, He's, he's amazing. Um, there are so many different voices I want out there because that just means more people get healthy. And isn't that kind of what we want? Yeah. I mean, look, yes, sure. But I don't think my ideas on health are sufficient to be insistent upon them. What I want, what I want beyond health is for people to be successful. In whatever, in whatever they're, whatever they're going after. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, health could not be a, a requisite for you. It could not be a starting point. It could, it could not be, it could have nothing to do with what you could have strictly vain goals and great. I, I want you to be successful. I want Lizzo to be successful and her success seems to just be that she's happy and proud of herself. And I say good for her. Yeah, I mean, and that's the big thing. And I think you kind of nailed it there, where when we were talking about the people who would get mad at others who were working out, it's like, well, that's an example of like, okay, well, you're unhealthy, but you're clearly not happy or else you wouldn't be screaming at other people who are working out or who are doing jujitsu or whatever. Whereas, yeah, you're right. Like someone like Lizzo is just like, she's just fucking being herself. And, you know, I mean, do you remember the outrage when Adele lost all that weight and people were like, fuck her. And it's like, God, that just means she wanted to do a thing. And then she did the thing. Yeah. And we should be, we should be clapping for her for doing the thing, right? right. Like, I, I think so. Yeah. I think she looks I, great. And by the way, she sounds great. She's got a great singing voice. That hasn't changed. Yes, exactly. And I mean, I keep going back to this, but it's just so fucking important. 
just try to be the best version of yourself. And if you are constantly lashing out at other people, there is a great chance that that is coming from a deep, dark place inside of you that you are trying to avoid, that you are blocking out, and you are taking it out on strangers. I think that says it all. Kilstein, thank you so much for being on. Dude, it's always so good talking to you. I kept forgetting we were on a podcast, but I was just like catching up with you, which was great. I know. Um, we were just chatting. Can I plug my shit? Yes, please do. Cool. So uh, my podcast uh, is called the Jamie Silkin Podcast. Uh, you can uh, this, you know, The guests have just been artists I love talking about failure. So like next week, it's like the rapper style P. And also, I think one of the best records, singer-songwriter-wise, um, uh, Clem Snide is going to be on the show. Uh, that's not his actual name, but that's the name of the band. And then, but then, like last week, I had Aaron Alexander, who you should have on the show. He does uh, the Align podcast, the Align Method. I'm gonna set that up. You guys should. He has a huge following too. He's just he's a cool fucking guy. Um, but I had him on. I'm like one of the guys from the Minimalist. So that was like a self help week. And then Rob Hubel, who this huge comedian, improviser, actor guy. And so it's just like dope people who do dope things talking about their failures and uh, coming up and what they do uh, to kind of get in the right headspace. So that's jamiekilsteinpodcast.com. For these two people, I also have a podcast called Rear Naked Radio, which is uh, kind of exploding. And then uh, fuck Twitter. But if uh, I'm Jamie Kilsey on Twitter, <laughs> but my Instagram, which is what I want to definitely build up, uh, where I'll try to be motivational and then make those weird sketches, uh, is the Jamie Kilstein on Instagram. And I love those sketches. They are so bizarre and awesome. Oh, thanks. Kind of like I can kind of I can kind of act. Oh, not act, but I can I can kind of be funny and not stand up. Yeah, I think they're great. Oh, I'm so glad you. I have no idea if you'd seen any of them. And uh, that's so fucking cool that uh, you like them. All right, brother. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much. All right. I love you a lot. I'll talk you. to you soon. Bye. Bye. And now for some Q&A. This question comes from JT. He writes, it's taken a while to finally take the leap and change my way of thinking. When you took the first step towards food appropriation, did anxiety hit you? Meaning, did you get overwhelmed or get the feeling of missing out? If you did... How did you combat that? I feel like a healthy mindset is as helpful a tool as anything, and it's hard to get past the mental anxiety I feel. Any pointers? Thanks for the question, JT. Yeah, I, w- I will say I I remember mostly this feeling happening w- towards the beginning when I would do really extreme diets, and I would get a physical sensation but also this mental anxiety of uh, almost just uh, – feeling like things were being taken away from me. Um, and they were. Food was being taken away from me a number of times. I, I, I was setting these limits myself, but I, I know, I, I think that that's the feeling you're talking about. Um, you know, uh, I would just get through it kind of a moment at a time when that feeling would get really strong. I would tell myself that this is a moment in time and this feeling will not last forever. And that that would be true. Eventually, that feeling would go away. Um, sometimes I would go out for a walk and look around and, and kind of reground myself or do some exercise or move around or find something I could be in control of because I, f- I feel like it's that um, 
that feeling of powerfulness and being in control of something can mitigate that feeling of anxiety. That's what I've found for myself. Um, but yeah, I, I totally, totally can relate to that. But now when I diet, it's, I'm not doing anything that extreme. And when I go into a, a cutting phase of my diet, it's, it's not the same feeling. The, the, that feeling I remember associating w- with very extreme diet. I don't know how extreme of a diet you're doing, but I have found uh, I don't get that feeling anymore. Now, it could also be that I've been dieting for so long that I've just um, beaten that feeling. But my diet now is the reductions are not so massive that, that I feel like that anymore. But if you have a huge amount of weight to lose and you're going to do something really extreme and or even if you don't, if you're feeling that way um, and your diet isn't that extreme, you can get through that moment. You can go for a walk. You can look around. You can you can write about it. I found writing about this stuff and, and just getting my feelings out of my head and onto a piece of paper. That's also helpful. That's what I would recommend. Thanks for your question, JT. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast, you can submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. 